Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So the Bears closed on Arlington Heights Park, the future site of Soldier Field. Soldier Field in the suburbs. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to call it that, yeah. Are you uh, starting to get excited about watching Justin Fields run for his life in the suburbs? <laughs> 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. I think this is exciting. These are exciting times. I mean, I grew up and, you know, obviously went to the best high school in the world, Hersey High School in Arlington Heights. <laughs> right. It's yes. a greatest thing. So we're now going to have nice things. But, no, the Bears had to get out of Soldier Field. They had to get out of Chicago. They've always wanted to get out of Chicago because they didn't like renting. Um, and so I, I think it's a great idea. But the problem is funding. Who's going to help pay for this? Because people, the residents of Arlington Heights don't want to pay for it. Uh-huh. They want to reap the benefits of it and have a nice you know, shopping area, a mall. There's going to be a school, an elementary school, I believe, on the property. Um, but they don't want to pay for it, meaning they don't want higher taxes. Uh, the um, governor, Jelly Belly. Oh, that guy? Telling uh, the anti-business business magazine, Cranes, bears are a private business. They don't need taxpayer funds. Is there such a thing as a public business? See, I, I just find these um, histrionics from the ruling class in Chicago and Illinois such a fun bit of high dungeon, don't you? The Bears are a private business. They don't need taxpayer subsidies. Oh. Um, so I ask again, is there such a thing as a public business? See, what, what Jelly Belly and the rent-seeking editorial board at Cranes are saying is, not that the Bears are a private business, they're saying something more important. The Bears are a disfavored business. And they have curried disfavor by leaving the city because that's not what the political class wants. So the people that, hey, we're hands off because it's private business. But when the private business does something that we don't like, then we're going to make sure that they're that, you know, we make it as difficult as possible. And this is not a statement in support of subsidies for uh, sports teams because I'm opposed to them categorically. The only thing I just want to point out is the rank hypocrisy. So it's a private business. Um, All those green energy businesses that Pritzker loves to subsidize with your money, are are they private businesses too? Or are those public businesses? Do I get a piece of that action? Yeah, good point. I don't think so. Well, Mayor Lightfoot released a statement. She's excited about (laughs) this development too. Her, Her spokesperson. All right, ready? Today's news about the closure of the Bears option in Arlington Heights has been anticipated for some time. Oh, really? Nonetheless, all of us diehard Bear fans, the mayor included, know and believe 
that the Chicago Bears should remain in Chicago. Ooh. She's not just a Bears fan. If you saw what she tweeted over the weekend, uh-huh. she's a, an NFL fan. Oh. And there's okay. nothing that speaks to being an authentic football fan than somebody who posts a picture of themselves grilling some ribs outside with generic NFL gear on, Super Bowl 57 oh. logoed gear on. Oh, you hate, was, when a, you hate when she adults was, do that. She was uh, sporting. She's such a fan. Um, no, but this is she's very excited about this because – now there's an even better opportunity to make the business case as to why the Bears should remain in Chicago and why adaptations to Soldier Field can meet and exceed all of the Bears' future needs. This is a positive development, so a triple threat would have you believe as she stares at her electoral oblivion less than two weeks away. Because now, I mean, she's making a technical point. Now right. we can open up conversations with them about uh, the relative merits of the Soldier Field redo versus, you know, Bearsville up in Arlington Heights. But, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, this is I mean, this 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 thing can still uh, go sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's all tracking to where we told you it would track a year and a half ago when this first started. This is coming to fruition. It just makes too much sense. And Chicago makes too little sense. There's there, what is the upside to stay in Chicago? It's difficult to identify one, and it's difficult to foresee one materializing in the near term. So the Bears are going to go, and whether the state provides some subsidies or the village, you know, freezing uh, property tax, freezing property assessments, and so forth, um, that is not what is going to to stop this deal. If this deal is to be stopped, this is just trying to get as much as you can get. Which, of course, the Bears organization learned by watching how. Illinois politics works. I mean, who can blame them? Mayor Mayor Daly, Mayor Lightfoot, she has egg on her face. I mean, she lost the Chicago Bears. Think about that. During her mayoralship, the city, Mag Miles, a joke, State Street, all the stores are pretty much closed. If you go to O'Hare Airport, Dan, have you been to baggage claim lately? We'll we'll get to that. But I'm just saying the city, well, it's 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 hauling a handbag. Well, well, right. And remember, you, you can't forget her initial reaction, which is so emblematic of her four-year tenure, her initial reaction to the prospect the Bears would consider moving to Arlington Heights was they should concentrate on trying to beat the Packers. You know, that sort of dismissive attitude uh, has punctuated her regime, and it will be in large measure why she's not the mayor come May. George in Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Dan, I wanted to ask you, under the first mayor, Daly, when the Bears were flirting with possibly doing something, he's like, they won't be the Chicago Bears anymore. I was wondering if there was any merit to what he was saying, if it was true or he had the power to take that Chicago away from them. No. Yeah, it's a good question. Thanks for the call, George. That's great saber rattling. He does not have the power to do that. Right. The mayor does not have the power to do that. Um, did this just in. Uh, mayor Daly, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, they don't own the word Chicago. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the idea that uh, the city has some trademark, you know, the city uh, corporation has some trademark on Chicago, needs city approval to use Chicago. No, I don't think so. So, no, that's not the case. That would be a a, a team organization decision and, uh, I guess, to some extent, an NFL decision. But, but I mean, then now think about this, too, how many uh, – Sport professional sports teams now are, are not in the big, not technically in the big cities that they represent. 
It's not the Frisco Cowboys. It's the Dallas Cowboys. Right. Right. It's not the East Rutherford Giants. It's the New York Giants. Yeah, it's not the New Orleans Jazz. It's not the New Orleans Jazz. No, it's Jazz. Jazz. The Utah Jazz. Remember, there used to be New Orleans. I'm well, saying well, when the, you move you, when you move well, teams, the, you change. Sometimes you have to change names when you move to different cities. But yes, they're not going to become the Arlington Heights Bears. They're going to be the Chicago Bears. But I thought that well, they right, should have moved the same metro area, right? But yeah. they should have moved to Northwest Indiana. Wouldn't that have been a total slap in the face to Pritzker and Lightfoot to both of them, and the tax benefits they would have gotten? Oof. Well, yes, but uh, you know the attractiveness of the Arlington Racetrack property, yeah. and you know, and frankly. Again, they're a lot closer to their season ticket fan base. Yeah. Tom in Deer Park. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. Yeah, about unfavored businesses. One thing that Pritzker won't say, Lightfoot won't say, and Woke Woke Krings won't print. The McCaskey family is very pro-life Catholic, and those people can't stand that. You'll never see it in print. They'll never admit it. But that will have something, not everything, to do with this as well. Uh, that's mm. true. Thanks for the call, Tom. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Have you been to O'Hare recently? Have you noticed the homeless encampments inside the terminals around the airport? 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. After pictures started circulating online of all of the homeless individuals uh, lying around O'Hare Airport, and I do mean literally lying around O'Hare Airport, uh, it became a national story. Uh, one commentator, it's part of the ongoing disintegration of Chicago, and Lightfoot holds the primary responsibility she pounds her fist at a podium and says, we're going to do this and we're going to do that for public safety, and it doesn't get done. Uh, that was a Republican political operative named Dan Proft who said that. Oh, that, oh, that guy? Yeah. He's so smart. I heard he's single, too, and dreamy. Uh, yeah, he, I, I enjoy his work. Um, so anyway, this is a New York Post story that has a lot more commentary than just from me. Uh, and by the way, uh, you know, forget forget me. Um, set me aside, you know, since I'm 
uh, right-wing kook and all that. Uh, Ray Lopez, Alderman Ray Lopez, he was on with Tucker last night to talk about it. Listen to his characterization of O'Hare, what it is currently. We've seen this beautiful gateway to Chicago been overrun by the homeless, where every night two to 300 homeless individuals come off public transportation and set up encampments here in baggage claim and throughout all five terminals. All the while, the mayor's voice is blasting from overhead, welcoming any one of the 65,000 daily visitors here in this indoor outhouse that we call O'Hare Airport. <laughs> indoor outhouse. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. I was uh, in and out of O'Hare uh, last week and into this week, and I did notice it. It, yeah. uh, I, you know, I, mean, I didn't spend a lot of time loitering there, but, um, but yeah, it's noticeable. It's different, like so much of what longtime residents of Chicago are saying with respect to public safety and just about everything else. It's just a city that is... Well, as I said, and I've been saying for a long time, it's disintegrating. Well, I, I got to tell you, it's not in just Terminal 3 or 2 or 1 where, you know, it's in Terminal 5. <laughs> I was at the airport Wednesday and I thought, well, it's not going to be here because, you know, you've got well, you know, Homeland Security, you've got Customs, Immigration, Agents. And yet they were there, but they look catatonic. Something's different. They're, they're, they look drugged up and their eyes are... You know, I mean, not all, all of them are on drugs, but they, a lot of them look like they're on drugs. Well, um, this just in, a lot of people who are homeless have addiction Jeez. problems. But I, uh, uh, they're the, taking off their shoes or sitting, you know, they're taking those carts and just putting their stuff on it and really sleeping wherever they want. Uh, the uh, mayor's office, uh, through the Department of Aviation, mm -hmm. issued a statement. The Chicago Department of Aviation is aware of the increasing population of unsheltered individuals. At O'Hare International Airport, it's common occurrence at this airport and airports nationwide when temperatures drop in the winter months. There is nothing to see here. This is like the swallows to Capistrano. This is just a seasonal rite of passage in Chicago. Is that what you see? That's not what I see, and that's not what a lot of other people who are commenting on this, including regular travelers, much more frequent travelers than I am through O'Hare. Uh, that's not what they're saying or saying either. Yeah, and it's not that we don't care about the homeless, but where are the boundaries? We used to have that word exercised here in Chicago because if they're not on the blue line sleeping on the train going to O'Hare, they're setting up camps all along Lakeshore Drive. Foster Beach, last time I counted, right there at LSD, had nine orange tents set up. Well, I, we've been talking about this for some time, and this, by the way, this predates Lightfoot. We used to call them Romvilles. Now we call them Lightfootvilles, but the homeless encampments in Lower Wacker, I mean, oh, there that, are yeah. legions of homeless on Lower Wacker. They get moved around from time to time, but, um, right, you're not, you're not, there's no solving of the problem. There's just sort of moving it along um, only for individuals to return uh, through, and, you know, in, 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 in viaducts around the city. Uh, here, here's the other thing. And this is the point I made to the report for the New York Post. This did not get in the story. But, yeah, exactly what you just said, right? We want people that are homeless and people that have mental illness and people that have addiction problems to be treated. And that's why the city of Chicago has a $15 billion budget. But here's what happens. And this is... The same old story with government. Uh, all of these enlightened folks, the ruling class elites, 
they're so busy creating heaven on earth through government that they don't live up to their core responsibilities like public safety right. and that would necessarily include addressing a homelessness problem it's not a resource issue it's a management issue and all you get is exactly what i said you get the the fist pounding at the podium and you get the press releases and you get the emoting about how much everybody cares and that is in lieu of actually doing the difficult work that a lot of social service providers do the day-to-day implementation of a plan what did chris kibzinski say mcdonald's last year that you know he was excoriated for by Lightfoot, you know he he doesn't know what he's talking about. Crime problem? What crime problem? Of course, homeless problem. What homeless problem? It's seasonal. That's the that's the attitude. Uh, they don't have a plan, and so they just say, "Well, it's being overblown, and we know a lot more about this than you." So why don't you just shut up? That's essentially what she said right. to Kebzinski. Well, he said the business community stands ready. Business leaders like him and McDonald's stand ready to help, but we'd like to see a plan. We'd like to know what we're supporting, and we have resources, both financial and in terms of manpower, that perhaps we could contribute. And he gets told to go pound sand by Lightfoot. Well, it's the same thing here. What, what is the plan? What is the infrastructure? All this high-minded talk about being a welcoming city and our brother's keeper and this program and that program and this needs to be expanded and this needs to be created. And yet the core tasks, the core services that everybody wants to see provided, are not provided. But, but why can't they just tell them no? I mean, they told us get a vaccine or else you can't keep your job at CPS. But you can't tell a homeless people who's not paying taxes, sorry, because we're paying an exorbitant amount of taxes for what? This is your entrance to Chicago? You don't even know if these people are alive or dead. I think that was the biggest problem. Because I, I like, it's w- sick. Well, well, no. I, I like, I, I like the, uh, the, the point that Lopez made, too, the juxtaposition of Lori Lightfoot's voice bellowing, oh, you know, right. the, the recorded voice yep. bellowing the welcoming to welcome to Chicago yeah. while you're stepping over homeless people to yeah, get your she, luggage. Yeah, she started that a few months ago, you know, because it's an election season. We all know the game. Mary at Midway, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. I don't know about anything about O'Hare, but I live by Midway Airport. And uh, there's a bunch of hotels at 65th and Cicero, which actually used to be beautiful. They don't even fit in in that neighborhood. They're so fancy and everything. But... Now, for the last two or three years, they've been having nothing but homeless people and, um, you know, people that are just getting here and so on. It's really not not hotels at all anymore. It's just been homeless. Everybody knows that I live right by there. It's, you know, lots of crime and lots of they, the doors are locked to anybody unless they have some connections. And those hotels, by the way, used to have like fundraisers and stuff there. So I'm thinking it's all kind of connected or something. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the call. Well, I mean, that uh, it's, it's a lot of those motels along Cicero Avenue don't exactly um, inspire a weekend getaway, if you know what I'm saying. Because uh, it's a motel. Yeah, with emphasis on mo. Mo. <laughs> uh, but something else Lopez said, too, I want to get to. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of the the need for a paradigm shift, the need for systemic change and systemic is a word that the left loves so much systemic change reform improvement uh professional management you know a lot of government like a lot of corporate america or a lot of police work any big bureaucracy it's not glamorous 
And this is, frankly, why you know DeSantis is so impressive, because he has granular knowledge of what's going on, and he's outcome-focused. And he, he focuses, here's the inputs, here are the outputs, we measure, how are we doing? Are we delivering what we're charged to deliver? And if we're not, here are the steps we're going to take to make sure we do. There's none of that that goes on in Illinois and Chicago, because they can fall back on identitarian politics and their beautiful lies, and... People say, oh, well, that's just part of living in the big city. Homelessness everywhere, people getting shot, kids not learning to read, do math. Kids that's getting just, assaulted that's just, at that's school. Just, yeah, yeah, that's just teachers. big city living. Yeah. <laughs> but this is taking it a step well, too far. I mean, one, because it's, it's just a horrible welcome to Chicago. Well, but then they get on the CT and it's even worse, right? Well, here's the hurdle that uh, Chicago has to get over. Honkies like your neighbors in Lakeview. Amazing in a city like Chicago that we have so many individuals who are hiding behind white guilt and privilege as an excuse to stick with the failed mayor rather than hold her accountable for what she's done and what she continues to do to this beautiful city. They're willing to stick by her just to assuage their personal guilt of privilege or whatever they wokeness, whatever they want to call it. And many of us continue to fight back. I know you had Dr. Wilson on your show as well, who's standing up against her. We have to fight back for this city because we can't allow what's happening here to become the mainstay for every neighborhood and for every iconic part of Chicago, which is overrun by the homeless, overrun by gangs, overrun by criminality and what should be a welcoming city to all the good law-abiding people who want to make this home. Uh, I tell Amen. you, th- those, uh, those honkies he's referring to should feel guilty, but not for the reasons that they do feel guilty. You know, you know what this is about? This is about that viral moment if there's Chicago police officer or somebody's removing a homeless person and they fight back they're so worried about one image when this is the what you're going to settle for this image you're, you're choosing one image over the other what, what about uh triple threats you know convening all the social service providers uh in the city particularly those that have experience treating uh people with uh people who are addicted to drugs people with mental illness problems I mean, you know, where is the call to do that? Where is the call to get all the resources together, including the nonprofit resources, and divide the labor to address this problem? There's nothing. You know what it is? It's you get a statement from the Department of Aviation. It's seasonal. It's Just seasonal. avert your eyes. It's seasonal. It's not. This was happening in the spring. This was happening in the summer. If you take a late flight in, they'll, they take the blue line in, and they'll set up camp. And then Nick, they don't clean up after themselves. Sorry. Nicholas in Streeterville. Hey, Dan and Amy, good to talk to you. I'm um, actually on my way to our beautiful airport right now. Oh, and, wonderful. Uh, quick story for you. A friend of mine was just traveling around Venezuela and says he didn't get peddled or begged at not once. If he did, it was somebody either juggling or doing some sort of act, um, trying to earn their money instead of just coming up and begging on them. Um, as soon as he walked into Chicago, he had plenty of people walking up to him trying to grab at his pockets, you know, the typical the typical Chicago way. I don't think Lightfoot's ever going to change. These people are nuts. I don't know what it's going to take. There's no money in trying to fix homelessness in Chicago for our corrupt politicians. So, yeah, it's going to constantly be something that they ignore. Thanks for Talk the call. to you guys when I get back. Yeah. Good luck. Thanks for the call, Nicholas. But yeah. certain cities do. If you go to San Mateo, California, it's right next to San Francisco, they do not allow any homeless people. If somebody's trying to set up camp underneath the viaduct. The cops are there, lickety-split. I don't know where they take them, but they take them somewhere else. Same with Newport Beach, California. Each community does, does things differently. And old man Daly, he used to, you know, do 
you have the engine companies go out and spray down the streets because, you know, you had to clean the streets. But really, he was just trying to get homeless people off the streets. And it, would see, it seemed inhumane, but it worked. Roger, Southside. Morning, gang. Uh, Amy, wow, that's great memories. Yeah, could you see Richard J. Daly and Lightfoot squaring off in today's <laughs> world? Oh, I'd love it. Uh, yeah, I'm at O'Hare about four days a week. Yeah, complete barnyard like everything else we have going in the state of Illinois. Uh, Midway is a, a real nice. Uh, I heard they're talking about making it the uh, Section 8 uh, office or CHA. That's just as well. Uh, you know, when are we going to, when are well, you know really, what'll happen? You know, we could, we, uh, we can, uh, corral the homeless and put them in the, uh, section eight housing that, uh, Lightfoot wants to bring to the financial district. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Does she want to put them in the West Loop or in the Gold Coast? What mm-hmm. she has, she decided. Uh-huh. Thanks for the call, Roger. Uh, Lewis Southside. Oh, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. I'd like to make two comments. Uh, back in the 1960s, we used to have this problem. At the airports, like you like you talking about, do you remember the Hara Krishners? Yeah, yeah, from airport. Yeah, Joe Azusa. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, when you anytime you went in there, you know they were yeah, you there. To, you know, you had to punch your way through them to get to the terminal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you remember that movie, uh, Airport? Airplane. <laughs> where you? Yeah. Where they had to fight to yeah. get to their? Uh, yeah. You know, get to the gate. Okay. Now, like you talking about? Knocked about six of them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you're talking about. This is about management, you know. The resources are out there. The problem is connecting the uh, the people who need the uh, resources, you know, connecting them, getting that connection. Now, the mayor had said something about a, a, a line she has called 211 that's, uh, that's supposed to offer all the uh, – the uh, federal, state, county, and city uh, 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 resources they have out there. But that's not the problem. The problem is is that we need people out there, you know, to walk into – to walk up to these people and to recognize that they have a problem, you know, and to suggest, you know, make suggestions, you know, and, and uh, offer them the, uh, the resources that the, that the, the government – has to offer, you know. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for the call, Lewis. I mean, you know, the, yeah, the homeless just need to call 211 on their smartphones yeah. or their Obama phones. Um, they do most of them have cell phones. The, this, this, the, yeah. Come on. No come on. Let, you know, let's, let's, let's be a little bit more proactive here. You know, and, and any time you know, talk about the homeless, oh, it's such a sensitive topic, you know, if you're suggesting that um, cleaning them up, you're concerned about the quality of life of others, then you're treating the homeless as subhuman. No, actually, you are treating. You, Lori Lightfoot, you, the power structure in Chicago, and, and that includes the press corps, you are treating them as subhuman. And you're treating everybody else as subhuman, too. Mm-hmm. Everybody's quality of life suffers, including the homeless, because you can't accomplish your core responsibilities. It's as simple as that. Now, it's a complicated problem. I recognize that. But there's not even an effort being made. No. It's throw money at, 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 at you know, Soviet government programs and hold press conferences to tell everybody how much you care. That is not management. That is not trying attempting to uh, ameliorate a situation that is bad news for all parties involved. Joe in Hoffman Estates. Hey, good morning, uh, guys. Um, I mean, you have to feel a little bit sorry for them and have some compassion. They shut the economy down for two years. They put gambling places on uh, every gas station, wherever you go, you can gamble. A lot of those people down there gamble their life away. 
where do you put them? Some of those people a were lot no of people don't want to be helped. Well, uh, the government wrecked them. Well, a lot they've been offered. I agree. I remember I agree. Thanks, Joe. Mayor Emanuel. They offered, you know, three months. Everything's all expenses paid. Water, heat, cable. If you want cable, we'll give you a phone. And people refused to move. Well, look, this is just grab them and take them. I'm sorry. You look what they did to us. Take them where? Take them somewhere else. Take them to a homeless shelter. Sorry. Too bad. I know you don't want to go, but you're going. Well, here's the thing. You know, the homeless, you know, everything is we we just group it. Everything is just one size fits all because we think about things like the way the government does. And that's why it constantly fails there. You know, there are homeless people that, uh, you know, through bad decision making, lost everything, as Joe and Hoffman Estates was saying. There are homeless people that have mental illness problems. There are homeless people that have drug addiction problems. And there are a lot of social service providers, the Haymarket Center, many others that address various parts of this. And the point is to say you have all of these social service providers. You have a public that doesn't like to see people suffer. Nobody does. And is willing to and, and business leadership that has said we're willing to be supportive. We're willing to engage. Give us a plan. Give us an approach. Put professionals in charge of managing the situation of addressing these problems in a way that makes sense on an individual basis. It's doable. I mean, even think about this. You're talking about 300, 400 homeless people that are creating chaos at O'Hare. You can, this city with a $15 billion budget, I say again, and all of the um, non-government uh, resources available can't address a problem that involves three or 400 people at O'Hare, just to use this as a microcosm? Of course we can. It is a willpower, it is a management issue. So many of the problems in Chicago and Illinois are willpower, political willpower, and management issues. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Revisiting uh, East Palestine, we talked about it at uh, some length yesterday. Uh, after that, uh, train derailment and controlled release of toxic chemicals. It's a controlled burn, so there's not an explosion. They claim. 
Yeah, they had a town hall yesterday at which the mayor of East Palestine, Trent Conaway, was central. And uh, he explained to a disgruntled audience of East Palestine residents what the choice was. And, you know, based and, and again, you can only hold him to account to a certain extent. He's enlisting experts. He's 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 you know, being briefed by state and federal agencies and saying, these are the choices and this is what we think. And so uh, his argument was, we didn't really have a choice other than to do the controlled release. There was two options. It was either we blow it up or it blows up itself. There wasn't a third. So no matter all the chemistry here and all this, it was doing something called polymerizing and I'm sure that's not the actual word, I'm sorry. Polymerization, so it was, it was turning into a slime, it was building heat for lightning layman's terms, is how they explained it to me. It was going to blow up. We controlled it. Yes, either way, if that was one in the atmosphere, it wasn't leaving on the tank car. That was our only option. We could, it wasn't just the fire chief made the final decision. I stand behind him 100%. I was with, beside the man the entire time. That is what had to be done. We had every expert we could. We had the state, we had the government. The government came and tried to help us. Uh, we had them. But we had to do it. It was either it blow up or we control it. That was the safest thing for this town and our residents. Was it a good decision? It, had to, it, was, it was a decision that had to be made. It was the lesser of two evils. The lesser of two evils. 312 642 5600. Turnkey.pro answer line. 64636 DA. Turnkey.pro text line. Uh, that was not convincing to many residents who are, you know, trying to give, I think, their mayor the benefit of the doubt here, recognizing his position in this entire catastrophe uh, and working off of, again, the input from federal and state experts in this area, supposedly. However, uh, there definitely is divided opinion about whether or not those were the only two options to blow it or let it blow, essentially. Mm-hmm the polymerization that was happening and it was going to explode on its own. Uh, we played this uh, gentleman yesterday, but let's revisit him. Uh, the local ABC affiliate there caught up with a hazardous materials expert named Sal Caggiano. And um, uh, this uh, clip is useful to sort of reset the table on what happened and the chemicals that we're talking about and then get uh, Mr. Caggiano's expert input. We now know three more chemicals that were on board the Norfolk Southern train that derailed here in East Palestine just over a week ago. And we're being told that some of those chemicals are dangerous. We basically nuked a town with chemicals so we could get a railroad open. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency sent a letter to Norfolk Southern stating that ethylene glycol monobutyl ether acrylate and isobutylene were also in the rail cars that were derailed, breached, or on fire. Caggiano says acrylate is especially worrisome. He says it's a carcinogen and contact with it can cause burning and irritation in the skin and eyes. Breathing it in can irritate the nose, throat, and cause coughing and shortness of breath. Isobutylene is also known to cause dizziness and drowsiness when inhaled. I was kind of surprised that when they quickly told the people they can go back home, but then said if they feel like they want their uh, their homes tested, uh, they can have them tested. I, I would have far rather they did all the testing. 
Caggiano says it's possible some of these chemicals could still be present in homes and on objects until you clean them thoroughly. Oh, there's a lot of what ifs, and we're going to be looking at this thing 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line and wondering, gee, cancer clusters could pop up, you know, well water could go bad. Kajiano recommends anyone who's in the East Palestine area get a health checkup. He says get a record of where your health stands now so that moving forward you have documentation of any possibly related effects to the train derailment. So <laughs> it seems like to me, to, to me there's a, a multitude of issues here sort of in progression. First of all, as Governor DeWine and J.D. Vance have both opined, uh, why was this uh, train not given like a, ha a hazardous materials carrier designation, right. number one? And a corollary, would it have mattered? It came if from it Illinois, is, too, by the way. It, if, it, if it is given that designation, then what happens to – I mean, what, what are, the, are there extra precautions taken? Do, do you change the route to, to go through less populated areas? What does that mean? I, I don't know. Secondly, the issue of – the controlled release versus um, other options. You heard the mayor say this was the only option. Sal Caggiano, you just heard him say, they basically nuked a town to get a railroad open. So was it, this was the only option, and it was either sit back and allow the thing to explode and potentially shrapnel from the cars be spread over a wide uh, swath and and injuring people in addition to the release of these toxic chemicals it could have been worse essentially or and so was that it or or it was it uh expedited to get a railroad open it's, as he said it sounds to me it was expedited to get a railroad open. well that's it that's his view i don't know i'm just just I, I i'm not an expert in this area i'm just trying to raise the questions frame some of the issues and then the third of course is the fallout and what is epa and uh, government at every level, particularly the federal government, FEMA, what are they doing to help the people in the affected areas? And how forthright are they being about what they know? Well, they're offering testing. Megan, or excuse me, Michael Reagan, Biden's EPA administrator, said, you know, if you want to drink the bottled water, and if you want us to come in, we'll come in and test. But people are already getting sick. And even NBC News, which led with this story, which I couldn't believe it only took 15 days, 3,500 and counting fish have died in local streams and rivers. Yeah. And here, this is what some of the people are suffering. This is, this is, I think their lives are on the line. Constant smell of burning plastics and chemicals in the air. Um, issues with our dog, uh, vomiting, acting lethargic. The fish are dying, so how am I supposed to feel safe? Um, bathing my children, cooking with any of it. I can't stay in the town longer than an hour before I have a giant migraine. I do not feel anywhere in this town is safe. Yeah, well, he, here's the thing. The EPA initially said that the water, drinking water, was safe. Yeah, yeah. And now some, like including the governor, Mike DeWine, saying, oh, you probably should drink bottled water. And we played yesterday some testing that was done and that was posted online that um, there seems to be something wrong with that water when you compare it to clean water and when you do the right. pH strips and so forth. So that, so that's why I say is being forthright as far as, oh, the EPA will come in and do testing if you want testing done, your private wells and so on and so forth. Yeah, but there's a catch. And uh, Tucker Carlson last night had a, a kennel owner mm -hmm. uh, on who um, was visited by the EPA and uh, a testing outfit that was contracted by Norfolk Southern, the rail line, to say, well, do you want us to test? 
but there's a catch. Sure. So what I can tell you is that um, we would like to have independent testing done. And um, uh, the, the people at Norfolk had suggested that they were going to offer services by an independent testing company to do uh, air and water testing for us. Um, when these people came to our property, uh, the company was called CTEH. Uh, I call it CTEC. And um, they had approached our property, came to our, our driveway and said, you know, we're here to test the water and soil. And I said, okay, so you guys are independent from Norfolk. And they said, well, not exactly. So then they handed us a contract. Um, the contract stated that essentially uh, Norfolk or any of its affiliates, you know, were going to be, uh, you know, encroaching on the property. They were going to be doing the testing. Um, and that it was essentially a hold harmless agreement. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but what I can tell you is that uh, I did not want to risk um, anything for my future, the future of the business, uh, by signing this contract. Uh, EPA was also there, um, and we had asked, uh, Chris specifically had asked EPA if they could come in by themselves or without signing of any agreements, and they denied that. Right, so we'll test, but you have to sign this liability waiver, and it's an independent contractor retained by the railroad. Oh, heck no. Right. Oh, yeah, that's real. uh, I mean, that's real assuring. You could understand why that uh, woman's spidey senses were tingling, I think appropriately so, and not just because of the toxic chemicals in the air. Well, I feel bad for people. I mean, their whole lives are invested in their homes, and they have nowhere to go. And you have the government telling them this, and they're like, don't drink the water because you will regret it. Well, there again, um, where is FEMA to provide for people that are displaced or should be displaced because of the dangers that are in the air and water there? These are questions. One lady said it best. You know, we're we're walking around, but everybody else who's here from the EPA or Norfolk from the rail line all have on hazmat suits. (laughs) And if not, they have those, you know, advanced gas masks, you know. To protect right. yourself in the theater of war, and they're just you know going banting about their way. Right, you're <laughs> fine. Don't worry. Just <laughs> go about your business. <sighs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh God, you right. trust the government too after COVID, please. Uh, J.D. Vance was on with uh, Bartiroma yesterday to address this as well, and sort of uh, repeated um, what he had been saying since the weekend. But um, uh, something else I want to tackle that he raised about uh, our nation's infrastructure and the infrastructure spend that is, you know, always received with bipartisan support. And we're uh, making America stronger by investing and fixing our roads and bridges. But are we fixing our roads and bridges and railways? Uh, We're encouraging everybody to get their ground wells tested. There are a lot of private wells in this area, and we want to make sure that the water is safe to drink. The EPA, we've been really hammering them on what the acceptable safety levels are uh, for the drinking water in East Palestine. We've yet to get the answers that we want, and so we're continuing to follow up on that. Uh, And then there's there's the third element of this, Maria, is why did this happen in the first place? Why wasn't the train labeled as high hazardous? That means that a lot of people didn't know what was on the train in the first place. Why have we gotten into a position where we're having hundreds of train derailments every year in this country when we just spent a trillion dollars on infrastructure? This stuff should be becoming less likely, uh, not happening as frequently as it is. So there's there's a lot of issues here. But right now, my main focus is the health and safety of the groundwater in East Palestine. Yeah, and that's appropriate. Um, The Bureau of Transportation Statistics, which is within the Department of Transportation, 
I'm sure uh, Peabody is on this. Um, they uh, track train derailments. Over the last 30 years, there's been an average of about 1,700 Jeez. derailments a year, both that both passenger as well as freight. Uh, so I, I don't that, that that doesn't tell us enough. So I don't know if this is an infrastructure problem, if this is a uh, lack of remediation for crumbling infrastructure. I don't I don't exactly know. I mean, Vance is raising the question of why did this happen in the first place? Why are we not improving our statistics when it comes to train derailments? Um, those are questions, too. Maybe this is uh, an opportunity to have a deeper dive on this. So we're uh, more we're, we're less credulous when somebody runs around infrastructure bill and we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And it's all going to be great. And nothing uh, gets done. Uh, take a couple calls to Jim Sheboygan. So what the mayor said is accurate. Um, what they're dealing with are volatile organic chemicals. And so most of, most of the risk is in the air. Um, groundwater isn't going to be an issue. Um, it's going to take a long time for the chemicals to seep through the, the soil and get to groundwater and groundwater wells. Typically, groundwater, drinking water wells are more than 100 feet deep. You're, so if I'm the EPA and I'm the on-scene coordinator, I'm going to worry about air emissions, and I'm going to worry about surface water. Now, Wait, 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 wait hold, talking, on a hold, hold on a second. Hold on a second. What's your background, professional background? How do you know this stuff? Uh, I've been doing Hazwopper stuff for 35-plus years. Okay. All right. Good. And, Go I've, and, I've, had, and I've had two facilities um, – uh, I forget the terminology, but uh, basically I've had two large fires at two manufacturing facilities where the public was uh, held to re- uh, sequester. So anyway, the problem that I see with this is obviously public communication. Mm-hmm. Why I'm listening to politicians is a joke. You should have uh, the fire department, the local fire chief. You should have the local EPA on-scene coordinator. You should have these people in front of the news media. Um, because otherwise everybody thinks like Amy, you know, they're, you know the world's going to come to an end. Our houses are contaminated. We're all going to die. And yeah, I mean, it, there's a risk in the air. There's definitely some human health issues that you've got to be concerned with. But EPA is on site. I can guarantee you EPA has air monitors throughout the community. They don't have a lot of choices. Were they going to send emergency cleanup crews into the fire and, have have emergency responders killed they didn't have a lot of options now don't get me wrong i mean i've seen epa bundle a lot of different type of act, uh, uh catastrophes like this one you know i go back to the oregon coast where uh uh the coast guard tried to bomb the new carissa right they were trying they you know they had a ship that was shipwrecked on the coast they were afraid of an oil spill so what did they do they bombed it and tried to burn up all the oil before it got released. And all they did was broke up the ship and created a, a worse oil oil spill. But in, in emergency situations like this, you really, the mayor's right. You don't have a lot of good options. Well, and you got to protect. Okay, go on. Ask well, me any well, question you want. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I can appreciate that. But but two things. I mean, you heard from that that hazardous materials expert, Sal Caggiano, said uh, they nuked a town to, uh, to clear a railroad. Um, yeah, that's 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 nonsense. He's uh, okay. He's oh, okay. He's All right. What about uh, with respect to the issue of the 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 groundwater? At least some of the testing that has circulating. I mean, I you know I can't 
uh, vouch for well, the if, the integrity of it, if, but I mean, it does seem to, it it did seem to indicate there is a problem with the water, and you also and you okay. have people. I assume based on what they're hearing from experts, I don't think Mike Dewine is going off half cocked when he said I'd probably drink bottled water. No, no, you want to drink bottled water, but the reason is is because, and and it and the fish kills are telling you this, right? Most of your drinking water sources are from surface water, especially in small communities, right? Right. Uh, I'm just saying that's the first risk. I'm not saying groundwater and groundwater wells aren't a risk. They're just not as big of a risk. Let's say you have a a 50 or a uh, 60-foot well for your house, right? These chemicals aren't leaching, you know, more, more than maybe a foot or two per day, if that, right? It, you know, because you got to go through the whole soil column to get to the intake for your well, right? It's 50 to 60 feet down. All right, I have another uh, question. It, that's you, a shallow well. That's a shallow well. I've got another question. You heard from that kennel owner. I mean, you talk about having an EPA point person there and so on and so forth. But what about that? What about the idea of uh, will uh, will sanction uh, a, uh, the independent contractor that Norfolk Southern hire to uh, do testing um, but you have to sign this liability waiver. Yeah, I don't know about the uh, liability waiver as much as wasn't an access agreement. Okay, I'd have to look at the language. But so yeah. the bottom line is, is, EPA doesn't want EPA wants the railroad to take responsibility. So people are complaining that they want things tested, but these people have to come from the railroad. They're they're probably a consultant, an environmental consultant. They got to get access to your property, right? Now, I don't know what the contract language says, and, and, you know, it might be hyperbolic what what was said, but and they might be looking for a hold harmless, which in which case you say no, but I will give you access to my property to do any environmental testing. So that's common practice, though? Yeah, but then why doesn't doesn't the the EPA retain the independent contractor rather than the... Well, they don't want to take responsibility for the... Well, exactly. Well, okay, well, there you go, but that is their responsibility. That is the that well, is, other other than why why does the EPA exist then? It, it, I, I agree with you. Okay, so let's take let's take uh, the, the trade centers, right? The trade centers come down. It was the biggest asbestos release in the in the history of our country, right? What yeah. did the EPA do? They went around and they cleaned up sandboxes, you know, in local parks. I mean, it, the EPA is kind of you know what? In, in all honesty, the EPA would probably hire uh, this. They're consultants, the same consultants that do the testing. They just don't want to take responsibility for the spill. And, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's yeah. screwed up, and they should. That's screwed well, but, up, but, and they should. But. Right. But, but, but uh, thanks for the call, Jeff. But, the, but the, my point is to say you're, you're, I'm an independent contractor retained by the, 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 uh, the rail company. You can understand why. It seems to be like, uh, well, are you working for them or are you working for me? There's sort of a, a – perception of a conflict of interest at minimum there's a perception and so epa we're independent we're the regulatory agency will retain the independent consultant you can bill back norfolk southern for the work that they do but i want somebody that's independent of the railway you can understand why people would want that i I certainly could uh greg in jefferson park hey good morning guys (laughs) i don't know about that guy man you know I'm real concerned about the, you know, it only goes down a foot a day. So what? You got to wait oh two God, months before the groundwater. I mean, you know, I well, don't know who hired that guy, but he, well, he's out of his gourd. Well, I, I, you know, I, this is beyond my expertise, yeah. so I don't know. You're just, you're just trying to, yeah, I mean, trying I, to follow I the you, logic here. Yeah. One of my, one of my concerns about this whole thing was, 
I'm guessing. I don't know, but they must have put that fire out before they did this controlled uh, leak to then burn the rest of this stuff. If you could do a controlled leak, because I know on those cars, the valves are protected for accidents like that. So you can open up the valve. If you can open up one of those valve, valves, you can hook a damn hose up to it, put it in a truck, and get it the hell out of there. I still don't understand why they did that. Because if you get if you get those cars cool enough, you know, pouring water on them, they're not gonna, they're not going to blow. Somebody's got to go in there to open them up to let the stuff out. If you got, you know, if you're risking know. to do that, I don't know. Put a, put a hose on it. I mean, Anyways, it's a fair question. Would... Thanks for the call, Greg. It's fair. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Frank in Arlington Heights. Hey, good morning. Well, you know, if you have industry, you're going to have industrial accidents. Um, if you have government, you're going to pay taxes for that government. And I think uh, this just shows how ineffective government is. We pay all these tens of billions of dollars to the Department of Transportation, the EPA, and, you know, they're reacting to a problem. You don't have all these great options. But what about the prevention of these problems? You mentioned that stat, 1,700 derailments in the United States last year. That sounds awfully high to me. What what kind of what, what kind of return are we getting, we the taxpayers getting, from uh, Pete Buttigieg and the Department of Transportation and their analysis of the safety processes for our railroad? And all and all the and all the money that we spent over many decades, you know, on infrastructure, quote unquote. Exactly. Total incompetence. That's what you can expect out of government. They never Thanks. prevent anything. Thanks for the call, Frank. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Because they got the beat, the campus beat, the campus beat. Yeah, the campus beat. Dan and Amy, good morning. University of North Carolina, the Tar Heels. They may miss the tournament this year. Oh, no. Shocking. Yeah, shocking. Dean Smith spinning in his grave. Uh, North Carolina, we uh, talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The uh, trustees there at the university uh, moved to create a school of civic life and leadership to expand discourse on campus, to try to live up to the ideal of a college or university to be a free marketplace of ideas in a way that most colleges are uh, woefully not doing. Moving in the opposite direction. Uh, at uh, yeah, record speed. Well, um, this is not without controversy. Free marketplace of ideas, oh, the horror. Somebody on campus with an opinion I disagree with, that cannot be tolerated. And I'm not just talking about the professorate. I'm talking about uh, accreditation agencies. The um, uh, accreditation agency called the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools, which accredits North Carolina, is making threats about their accreditation over this creation of the new School for Civic Life and Leadership. Belle Whelan said that North Carolina will be getting a letter from her agency. Oh, boy. Boy, you're going to hear from me. We're waiting for them to explain this school because that's kind of not the way we do business. We, you have a mouse in your pocket. We're talking about North Carolina. Who are you? 
she went on, we're going to either get them to change it or the institution will be on warning. She also brought in slides at this commission meeting where she was saber rattling to illustrate what a board member is not, including the phrase solver of all problems, one who runs the institution. The role of board members should be eyes in, hands off. Well, um, that drew a response from a, a number of former Department of Education officials, including our, from our friend Bob Itell. Um, and they said this about Miss Whalen's pronouncement. She proposes for you the role of mere spectators at the university entrusted by the legislature in North Carolina law to your stewardship. We urge you to reject this false and unacceptable understanding of board governance, which if followed will allow no genuine reform or board leadership at our nation's public universities. As the sole constituency on campus with a fiduciary duty to the public, not only is your board's active engagement in university governance permissible, it is in fact your duty. And they also note about this accreditation outfit, and we've talked about this at the high school level too, K through 12 level too, these accreditation outfits that are as Marxist as the universities or the schools themselves. They write, we also know your accreditor has a well-documented history of arbitrary and ideological intrusions into proper university governance. Your accreditor's actions have led the state of Florida to effectively mandate by law that all public universities in the state end their association with this accreditation agency. So serious has been the abuses of power, have been the uses of uh, abuses of power, that we anticipate efforts to terminate your agency status as a department, recognize a creditor in a future administration. Well, that would be welcome. That's going to take uh, uh, a Republican president and a Republican secretary of education, appointed secretary of education as well. But that's, that's what's going on. Even when you with a, have a board or university leadership generally that moves in the direction of trying to expand the parameters of thought and debate on campus, then here come the accreditors over the top to threaten your existence. That's how entrenched ha the left has now uh, now been able to entrench themselves. This is how deep the left has been able to entrench themselves now in university. So it's going to take a lot of political courage from university leadership to even slightly reverse the situation on campus. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Matthew Spaulding, Vice President of Hillsdale College and Dean of its Van Andel Graduate School of Government in Washington. Matthew Spaulding, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Great to be with you this morning. How about that North Carolina story? Uh, that's actually a great story um, and uh, w w well described. I, I think what we're seeing going on here, uh, both in North Carolina, uh, 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 Florida, where I'm on a, on, on a board of a college, and and I think around the nation, is a is a shift. We're we're, we're no longer talking about um, you know the old liberal professor in the in the department and complaining about the you know left wing uh, department here or there. Uh, this is more of an administrative executive uh, claim to being able to r rule these universities. All the things you've talked about, accreditation. Uh, I would add the admissions process, the hiring process. Um, these things go well beyond curriculum and the old-fashioned things we maybe associate with the academy being liberal. Uh, this is not just a wacky professor. 
Um, the, the, the assumption here is the modern progressive left, which is getting more modern and more progressive day by day, really runs the place, rules the place. How dare a board, especially a public university, think they could actually change its direction and bring it back to this old-fashioned notion of university being a place where you had uh, debates and discussion and deliberation and, and read books and things like that. So I, I think this is a change uh, in, in uh, what's going on in the academy and, and what's going on in North Carolina, what we're trying to do in Florida. All these things are great things uh, for trying to get the university at least back to a modicum of balance so that uh, students hear a, a debate across the board rather than merely one view, which is being enforced before they even get to the classroom. So, I, you know, the, the layers of gatekeepers that you've just described, the admissions, the, um, the, 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 the hiring, uh, and then the accreditation agencies, sometimes the board, uh, many times the board of trustees as well. So, you know, it, it, it prompts uh, revisiting this question that uh, a lot of people have been trying to answer, and some are answering it in different ways. You know, outside of a f- state of Florida where Ron DeSantis just says and, and, a, and the Florida State Legislature just says this is what we're going to do and we're going to impose it by state law to get back to the, the as you were saying, the promise that was made of these public universities to their constituents long ago. It, it, is the situation now such that other than one-offs like a state of Florida, the play is University of Austin. The play is not North Carolina. You're not going – there are just too many layers to wade through. There are too many blockades to uh, reinfusing campus mm-hmm. with uh, intellectual mm-hmm. diversity to, to actually accomplish this other than in one-off situations, a, a courageous board at North Carolina, uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida. You have to try to stand up more Hillsdales uh, like, uh, like the folks that, that are driving University of Austin are trying to do. Right, right. No, I, I... – well, I, I think uh, in the immediate sense, you're, you're right. There's, these seem to be a bunch of one-offs um, here and there. Having said that, you know, I, I think movement has to start someplace. Think of it in more, more in terms of a market. Uh, what might start in Florida might get picked up by Texas or uh, other red states, and you've got a movement going. I, I, I think the the um, frustration with the academy has been building probably for decades. Uh, it's gotten worse in, in recent years, such that there is today a huge demand um, uh, coming from students. I mean, the, the admissions at, at Hillsdale College, for instance, are off the charts. Uh, our yield is very high when we offer students the opportunity to go there. Uh, the K, demand in K-12 schools that are classical, uh, the desire for these new schools is very powerful, and there's a lot of money now going to higher education in a way that it wasn't before. Uh, so the possibility of making change, I think, is is very high. Uh, does it start slowly? Does it start in a few places? Absolutely. I, I think the, the, the amazing thing here is seeing where it's being picked up all of a sudden here and there. Uh, I think that will start happening faster as People see the possibility of actually doing these things, uh, a board being able to go in and change an institution, um, starting new institutions within colleges. Uh, that's been going on for some time here or there. I think it's uh, taking off and becoming more rapid. Uh, starting a new college, which is extremely difficult. That's, that's now a possibility in a way that I think it wasn't uh, in the past. 
I think we'll see some smaller uh, mid-sized schools here and there, uh, uh, private schools, uh, getting their acts together and realizing there's actually a market for students. And so the problem is that the problem is that a lot of these mechanisms we just described are mechanisms of what we in business would call monopolies. Right. Uh, as soon as you start breaking down a monopoly, when there is a market for an alternative, you start seeing change within an economy. And I think that's what we we're starting to see in higher education. So what's the progression? Is 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 DeSantis the model uh, ban? Uh, DEI training at in government agencies, including uni- public universities, uh, and then move to get boards, you know, trustees appointed to the boards of these colleges that are going to uh, push the colleges in the direction of free and open inquiry. Is that is that essentially the two step that uh, governors in uh, other states that uh, are sensible should follow? Well, I, I, I think in, in, in general, the Governor Santos really is, is the model. He has a keen understanding of this, and he knows how to govern, which is a rare combination nowadays. H- having said that, I remind uh, every governor and, and legislature when I go around and, and talk to them uh, that education, K-12 through education and higher education, um, is a unique responsibility, a constitutional responsibility of legislatures and governors. Every legislature and every governor has the power to do this if they so choose to. These are uh, public institutions are uh, controlled by the legislatures and the governors of their states and have a responsibility to the people that elected them. Uh, they're paid for by the, by the taxpayers of the state. Um, I think for too long uh, we have assumed that edu- higher education is just going its merry way. It's kind of lefty, but uh, nothing we can do about it. Uh, but it's gotten to a point where it is now uh, so objectionable in how it operates, how it runs, what it's doing to students, uh, that uh, really adult leadership is needed in a way that it was not before. Now we're talking about the administration of these colleges. That is particularly a responsibility of those who govern those colleges. And boards are appointed by governors. Governors are acting on laws passed by states. Uh, they have a responsibility to do that. So, so yes, on the one hand, he's, he's the model right now, Governor DeSantis. But there are other states and other governors who well could do th- uh, different things. Uh, there are amazing uh, a number of possibilities here, uh, given the nature of the academy and, and where it's gotten. So I, I think we, we're really seeing the start of hopefully a, a, uh, a groundswell uh, to, to make some of these changes, to try the best we can. Uh, to get some sense of what we would what we would naturally call good diversity uh, of, of opinions uh, in front of these students, so they can either have a, at least have a, have a fighting chance to to get educated, uh, which is the real problem. All, all this is just stultifying for these students uh, who thought they were going to college for uh, the gaining of knowledge, or instead going there and merely learning a an ideological line, and that's just that's just terrible. And destructive to their uh, to their whole education. He is Matthew Spalding, VP of Hillsdale College and Dean of its Van Andel Graduate School of Government in Washington. Matthew Spalding, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Great, great being with you. Thank you. And he joined us on our Turnkey dot Pro Answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM five sixty The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to six four six three six to download the app today. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. 
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. All right, uh, this whole discussion of uh, what young men or boys had in terms of posters in their room growing up, sparked by Raquel Welch's passing, is it's, uh, it's, it's creating creating a maelstrom uh, here. Uh, all right, so Justin, our producer, had uh, Miley, Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus, and or Britney Spears, right. Um, I got a text from 630. Uh, we had much more nuance for our generation. Catherine Bach for the meatheads. Oh. I, I, you know, Daisy do. I don't think, I don't think, uh, she was just for the meatheads. Uh, and that, but this is his argument. Catherine Bach for the meatheads. Jacqueline Smith. Oh. For the, for the mar- more oh. erudite. Oh, yes. Oh, she's beautiful. And she's still she- beautiful. She has aged really well. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six D A turnkey dot pro text sign when you were a young boy or a girl uh, and turned off the lights. Uh, who were you staring up at, wishing they were yours? I, I, I this I, remember the DeFrancos. They were a huh? band. It was a the family Def- band. The, the DeFrancos. DeFrancos. Yeah, that's really digging deep. If anybody remembers that, please. Make sure I'm not crazy. Three one two six four two five six zero zero. I know DeBarge. No, not no. There was a. It was you know like the, the Brady Def- Bunch. Three boys, three girls, and they would sing and dance. But I also I know had the, the Partridge Family. Yeah, I didn't have the Partridge Family poster. The DeFra- I, that was a TV show. The DeFrancos. No, it was a b- group. I know Hanson. <laughs> I'm not no. that young. Um, I had Bee Gees, Andy Gibb, oh, Leaf sure. Garrett, and. My fa- and I had a Farrah Fawcett poster <laughs> room. Does that make me buy? No, it just that uh, you aspired for her hairstyle. That you oh, wanted that okay. feathered look, right? Yeah, and I couldn't get it. My older sister Ginny could nail the Farrah Fawcett. And she, she had the Farrah Fawcett teeth and smile like her too. And um, but yeah, no, I, I love the Farrah Fawcett poster. I thought it was genuine. It was beautiful. I'm like that is a beautiful woman. And then she just happened to die on the same day that Michael Jackson died, and nobody cared that Farrah died. Oh, that's right. She died earlier that day. Remember? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I had great appreciation for uh, Fussy Bridges, Raquel Welch. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a little bit, she was a little bit before my time in terms of center cut, right? I mean, she's 82 when she passed away. Um, We're getting some kind of dirty text messages in here. Well, there's a lot of dirty minds out there. <laughs> uh, oh, Bay City Rollers. That's another one that came in. Bay City Rollers? Yeah. You, don't you know mean the like Bay the, City Rollers are the the, the, the the roller derby thing? No, it was a group, the Bay City Rollers. Oh, wow! I'm really old. I mean, I'm only ten years older than you, right? <laughs> Something like that. No, that Bill and Waukegan, you know, Chicago's morning answer. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking my call. Um, well, I used to have a poster of Farrah Fawcett, and on Saturday nights, I would just use a blanket and a flashlight. And you guys could probably uh, guess the rest. Please Thanks don't tell for us. Taking my call. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the call, Bill. Please don't tell us the rest. Um, you know, a a lot of people of my age would have had a Heather Locklear. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or um, but until Tommy Lee deflowered her. Yeah. yeah. No, that's Pamela Anderson. Well, it's not just well. Well, and then her too. Oh, that's right. Baywatch. Oh, that's right. He got around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he did get around. He did get around. Natalie and Glen Ellen. Hey guys, good morning. Uh, my vote is for Scott Bayo. Every version of Scott Bayo, and he is still hot to this day. He is still good looking. Chachi, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I, that's, a, that's a solid move. I had friends who had him in their bedrooms. I liked Erin Moran. She was cute, too. She was cute. Yeah, she, she was hot. A... She was cute. They were a cute couple. Girl who couldn't? Who, who, who didn't fall in love with Joni and Chachi? I know. Did they ever get married? Remember, yeah, Joni loves Shachi. They had oh, that right, spinoff. Spin yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, did they have babies? I don't remember. Did you have a poster of Tom Bosley in your room by any chance? <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks, Dan. <laughs> your dad complex, yeah, mm-hmm. Tom Bosley, right? No, uh, Ray and Lombard, yes, uh, for all the boomers that are listening, uh, Cheryl Teagues, oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, that was top, top flight right there, yeah, I agree with that. Thanks for the call, Ray, Tom in Blue Island. Well, the show that, um, I guess, started millions of posters. I'm a couple years older than you guys, but from Charlie's Angels, without a doubt, Cheryl Ladd. Hmm. Yeah, Cheryl Ladd. Very attractive. Uh, I just found out Quinn McCarthy, our uh, producer, had Kathy Ireland's swimsuit poster in his Kathy Ireland, yeah. That's that's good. And Shania Twain. And she's a good conservative. (laughs) Shania Twain in her day. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, those are all acceptable answers. You know, um, this is also sort of a test of, like, your profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do the three's company test, right? You, Joyce DeWitt or Suzanne Somers? Oh, oh Joyce DeWitt. No? Mm. What oh. about, you know, now you need to think a little bit more expansively when you talk about three's company because you have to, of course, include Priscilla Barnes, Terry. Oh, yeah. She was, I like Terry. And um, oh, did Je- you do? and Jenny Lee Harrison. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about Mr. Roper? Uh, I, I was more of a I was more of a Ralph Furley man oh, myself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, more of a Don Knotts guy. Oh, that's right. They changed. Uh, wait, wait, what posters did you have in your room, Dan Proft? We'll get to that. Okay, but don't uh, you you're going to answer that question? Judy and Lamont. Hi, this is for Amy. I'm helping you out here, Amy. Yes, I remember the DeFranco family and five siblings in the group. And I am looking it up a little bit, but I remember when you said that. So five families in the group and Heartbeat, It's a Love Beat, was the song back in 1973. Yes, so we could all have that in our tune in our head for the day. And for us, my sister is two years older than me. She had Donny Osmond, and I had Michael Jackson. So that's what we did. Michael Jackson, that's unfortunate. Thanks for the Well, we didn't know back then. Didn't know at the time, I know. What about Menudo? I'm thinking boy bands. Menudo would have been center cut for you. Mm-hmm. No? Greta Garbo, somebody texted in. That was their... Boy, aging yourself <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, that's why it's fun. You know, Jennifer you go, Love you, Hewitt. You go from Miley Cyrus to Greta Garbo. That's a, I know. It covers a lot of history. Oh, Sarah Mich- Miguel, Michelle Geller, a.k.a. No. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's no. what somebody texted in from 6 That was the poster they had on their wall. Mm-hmm. I don't see that. Oh, mm. Maybe I'm an outlier, but I, Dan and Amy, had the pride of DeKalb, Cindy Crawford poster on my wall. It's a good man. Yeah. She's okay. Oh, you don't think so? Oh, I think she's pretty pretty fun. Greg in LaGrange. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Amy, what is your room? The size of the Taj Mahal with all these posters? <laughs> right. No, they're interchangeable. Huh? You know, and then the new one would come oh, yeah, out once, you do team one, beat, and then you'd cut it out and put it One out. a month. Yeah. yeah. Tiger beat. I had four of them up, and they were all sports-related. I had the Polish Rifle, Ron Jaworski up. There you go. I had Bobby Orr up. I had Freddie Lynn up. And I had Bjorn Borg up. 
those were the guys that I had because I, I was a sports junkie and I was a, I'm a huge baseball and hockey fan, especially. But the Polish rifle, Jaworski, was great with the Eagles back then. I loved them. Jaws. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, thanks for the call, Greg. Uh, Went on to have a very – I mean, in addition to being an analyst, he's a very good businessman. He's a very successful career in real estate. Real quick, let's check like Roger Mike, Staubach. Yeah, Mike Scott, what posters did you have on your wall growing well, I had all, I had all sports guys. I, oh. I echo the Freddie Lynn when he was with the Detroit Tigers, not the Boston Red Sox. So no girly posters? Freddie, Freddie Lynn, Freddie um, Lynn, major milestone in Chicago, which was what, Mike Scott? Mm, I want to say it was a home run at the All-Star game. I'll accept that answer. Grand Slam. Grand Slam. First Grand Slam at yes. Comiskey. Yeah. Right. I was I was there with an obstructed view. You were not. I was there with well my done, dad. Well done, sir. Yeah. You know, Valerie Bertinelli uh, in my crew uh, mm. at Zeela Middle School, Valerie Bertinelli from One Day at a Time. Yeah. That, era, that was like the wholesome girl next door. She looked like she'd walk out of a Zealand elementary school. Well, she, I was got more... the, she got the best guitarist in the world, so, you know, not bad. That's true. I was more of a Bonnie Franklin guy myself. <laughs> Thanks. There you go. Uh, Somebody else texted in Share. Really? Tawny Katane on the hood of the Jaguar. She didn't age well. From White Snake. Katane. May yes. she rest in peace. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their family. Happens to a lot of them. Ginger or Marianne, Dan? That's what they want to know. That's another test. That's like yep. the Three's Company test. You know, you glamour, you girl next door. Um, I wanted uh, Thurston Howell's wife for the money. Kid, of course you did. Marty in Naperville. Yeah, I always had girlfriends. I had a WLUP poster like everybody else. Yes. Remember the old loop posters? Yes. Yep. Everything said loop on it, and then all of a sudden they were they they, they were gone. So, yep. Make sure to call Marty. Uh, Jack in Whiting, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I had Phyllis Diller. <laughs> sure, because you like a sense and, of humor. And, uh, sure. The, the Good Witch. <laughs> and Ruth Buzzy. Ruth Buzzy right <laughs> alongside her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for the call, Jack. You know he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't worry about the physical. He likes the sense of humor. Right. I see that, right. of course. Uh, Neil in the Grange. You know nobody's talking about Suzanne Summers. I had Suzanne Summers, yeah. Farrah Fawcett, and then I had a bunch of uh, cars from muscle cars from uh, oh. the late '60s, early '70s. So um, that was still, my thing. Do you still have your thigh master, Neil? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Thanks for the call. Uh, Rick in Union. Hey, Rick. Hey. Rick. Yeah. Yeah. Dreaming about his poster girls. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about uh, the the Francos. I remember them pretty well. They they got to the Jackson 5 Osmond fight a little late, and uh, no one seemed to remember them. But uh, Kerr Fawcett was my my age category. Then the, the, my uh, sons went through the uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Britney Spears uh, uh, level of posters. But it just seems to go on and on. Thanks for the posters call, Rick. Are great. Hey, wait here. I like I like Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jennifer Love Hewitt was yeah. in those uh, those uh, coming of age teen comedies. She was good. Dan, yeah, let me quickly let introduce you to the, the DeFrancos. How, were they six years old? Oh, this is a good one. This is a this is a bit of a deep dive. I've got a, a couple of deep dives for you, but this is a good one. Al in Harwood Heights. Hey, Dan and Amy, love your show. First time caller here. 
um, I'm surprised. Um, Sheena Easton was the goddess that I worshipped back in the 80s. Yeah, that's a great call. Sugar Walls. Take oh, yeah. the morning train. Oh, it, oh, and, yeah. we all, and we all knew what she meant by that. Yes, we did, Al. We're not going to speak about that in polite company. But, oh, yeah, Burt Sheena Reynolds. Easton. Yeah. Um, not as hot as Sheena Easton. No. Marsha no. Brady and Lori Partridge. That's another text message we're getting. No, Susan Day. Susan no, thank Day. you. No. Uh-uh. And, and, and I, didn't, I didn't like the whole Brady girls. Not, there's nothing there. Wow. Not, not for me. Um, oh, we've got tons of text messages. I'm surprised we haven't oh. heard a Bo Derek call yet. No, Mor- Morgan Fairchild. Yeah, Bo Derek. Morgan Fairchild. Lonnie beautiful. Anderson. Yeah. And the 1989 Playboy Playmate of the Month. <laughs> Petra Verica. There's a really deep dig. That's a, well, that's what he said. He had it up in his college dorm room. Yeah. There's somebody who's got all their Playboys alphabetized. <laughs> um, yeah. Morgan Fairchild. That's a classic. Yes. Here's another classic. Glenn and Oakbrook. Yeah. Policewoman Angie Dickinson. Oh. Still kicking. Uh, I, I'm still kicking. And then the, uh, the gal from uh, Room 222, the female teacher, Karen, I think her first name was. Room 222. What's room 222? Karen Valentine. Karen oh, Valentine, thank yep. you. Yep. Right on the tip the of Mike Scott's tongue. It's the poster you always wanted, Mike no, Scott. No, never no got thank it. you. Just remember the show a little bit. Goody I don't remember that show. From Zealand, Michigan. Hmm. Hmm. Not familiar with room 222. Uh, Canton Aurora. Hey, calling from Knoxville now. Oh, congratulations. Living and breathing. Uh, Barbara Eden. Oh, yeah. Jeannie. I yeah, dream of Jeannie. Jeannie. She's, I think. Thanks for oh, sorry to no, cut he you. He hung up on him. He was relieving his. He didn't have to explain days. it. He didn't have to explain it. Sharon Palos oh, Heights. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, David Cassidy. No, David. Oh, you're you're cutting out, but David Cassidy was the call. Yeah, that's a good call. You were more of a Reuben guy, right? <laughs> a girl, I mean. <laughs> Reuben was more your speed. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Lori Palatine. Hey, um, mine's a little different. I had big crushes on Chicago Cubs, Bert Hooten and Gene Heiser. And the other one on TV, love Richard Thomas, John Boy Walton. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> he went on to a pretty good career. He did. Richard Thomas. Mm-hmm. What about Dick Tidro? Did anybody Dick like Dick Tidro? <laughs> Thinking about vintage Cubs. Oh. Uh, Tony Southside. Hey, good morning, Dan. Amy Lamb. You know, my my thing was uh, Susanna Hoff from the Bengals. I had her poster up in, on my wall. And, you know, and I still do. My wife doesn't seem to mind. She says she's cool with it. You know, I mean, but that's, that's my gal. <laughs> it's, nice, it's nice your wife lets you keep the posters up. Thanks, Tony, for inspiration. Don't uh, You've got to tell us what posters you had on your wall. I, I'll, get, I'll get you. All right. Don't forget. Uh, Mike and Beverly. Yeah, you guys got to go Kathy Ireland. Yeah, Kathy Ireland's good. Yeah. No argument there. Uh, oh, this is a this is a little one that this is a little offbeat. I think it's the accent. Pete and Montgomery. Hey Dan, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't bring up Jillian Anderson from the, from the X Files. Yeah, I know. She was no. the it girl from the for the intellectuals. Yeah, and no, I didn't know. No, she didn't. I mean, uh, I, she's a good actress. Thanks for the call, but no, I don't know. No, uh, Will Skokie. Hey, old show, uh, My Living Doll, um, Julie Newmar. Uh, mm. She was hot. All right, have a good Thanks for the call. You know what? Not, I didn't have a poster of her, but you want, you want to know one of my deep dives? What? Nancy Stafford. What, 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 she what was, was a lawyer a on Matlock. 
Oh, she was she, a lawyer on Matlock. Of course she was. Okay, the I'll blonde, check her out. right? The blonde. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. So she had brains and looks. Yeah. That's um, what I demand. Real quick, this is what I had though, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of you had it, men and women alike. We had the 1985-86 Super Bowl oh, Bears yeah, poster. What is that? But that doesn't, that's, not, that's off topic. That's not like that's you not have off to, topic. You have to say I, I had it because Those I thought st- Steve Fuller was hot. No, I thought Gary F- Fensick was. They were all uh-huh. hot. They were all hot. Even really, even the fridge, Perry. even the yeah. fridge. There was there was the. Greatest group, but they don't get no. enough recognition. Anymore. No, they don't. They really don't. But my, those posters sold out. You cannot get a poster, and every yeah, day we go I, to. I, I know. I Kresge's know. Love to Mongo, by the way. Yes, for sure. And yeah. try to get a poster. Eventually, we got our hands on one, but it was a it was a hot ticket item. Frank and Tinley Park. Hey, Amy, you had the nude Burt Reynolds, didn't you? The nude Burt Reynolds. <laughs> the question is, did you, Frank? <laughs> 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 We've all. It's okay. I understand. Kathy and Joliet. Well, Dan, this will make your day. I had, as a young 20-year-old bride, when I moved into my new husband's house, uh, the bedroom door closed, and the back of the bedroom door was that eight-foot poster of Raquel Welch (laughs) in her little fur fuzz. It's the deer skin. skin. It was a deer skin bikini. Thanks, Amy. Did you have, you must have had one of those. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, you know, you're a 20-year-old hot, you're married to a 28-year-old guy, and there's Raquel. And trust me, my equipment was not the same as Raquel. It was similar. High bar. Similar model, but not the same make, okay? (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Kathy. Well, think about what it would be like today. We don't talk about posters. We talk about uh, importing dolls from Japan. Uh, Eduardo Midway. Yeah, no offense to plans, but uh, mine was uh, Jacqueline Smith from uh, Charlie's Angels. And there's other ones like the partner for Matt Houston, Connie Selica. Oh, I just Connie had a thing with brunettes. Oh, all right. What, hey, I got one for you. I got a brunette for um, Midway. Did you drop off? Eduardo, oh, you did. Oh. I, this is a, a bit of a deep dive, but I think it will resonate. Phoebe Cates, Fast Times at Richmond High. You can't forget the pool scene. No. Yeah. Now then so, she married Kevin Klein and she sort of lost it. But, you know, but in that time, you uh, got you to gotta freeze them in time, you see. Did you have, first of all, did you have posters, though, up in your room? I did. I had a Jordan poster. Um, I had uh, George the Iceman Gervin. Um, I had, uh, I did have a female poster. Oh, I'm ready. Everybody's waiting. Yeah. It was uh, Gene Kirkpatrick, Reagan's... Uh, uh, ambassador to the UN. I mean, you should have seen the centerfold of her in Commentary Magazine <laughs> back in '83. Killer. Uh-huh. Gene Kirkpatrick. Uh, Ayn Rand. I had a uh, a sketch <laughs> of Ayn Rand. Yeah. So you know, I was right there uh-huh. with the kids. Yeah. Perry and Niles. Hi. Good morning. Uh, it was Johnny Carson. It was Johnny Carson. What? Uh, when Farrah Fawcett died three hours later, it wasn't Michael Jackson. It was Johnny Carson. No, it wasn't. It was Michael so. Jackson. I was. We were yeah. in the newsroom double, all day. Yeah, you go double check. You, you go, go double, double check. check. You know, we're having fun here. You uh, like, thanks for the call, like, Perry. If only there was a device checker. we could look this up on. I know. I thought. Yeah, I think Johnny Carson died well before Farrah Fawcett, right? Yeah. 
Yes, he's yeah. got his celebrities wrong. Uh, some other texts. Uh, oh, text. I know this. I don't know how this was overlooked. Um, Linda Carter. Oh. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Oh, you know what? Yep. Oh, Samantha Fox. Mm. I like Picture. Samantha Fox. Yeah, uh, Bond like girls. Ursula. Andrews. Andrews. Yeah. Um, I like the chick in uh, I don't I can't think of her name, but in Living Daylights with Timothy Dalton, the uh, Latina. Somebody, uh, no. somebody texted that they have a Janet Reno poster. Yeah, with Will Ferrell posing as Janet Reno. That's pretty good. Aunt B. Everybody has Old their girl. tastes. Yeah, everybody has their tastes. All right. Well, I think that was a fitting tribute to Fussy Bridges. Raquel Welch, rest in peace. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, we're still getting inundated with our uh, responses to who, what posters did you have in your room in honor of uh, Raquel Welch. Is it fuzzy or fussy britches? I thought it was fuzzy, but I guess it could be fussy britches, too. I, I didn't think about uh, the pronunciation of the word in Shawshank. Anyway, I digress. Jane Kennedy. There's a, I mean, uh, Sophia Loren. Oh, yeah. I got Sophia Loren. I got a Bridget Bardot. Um, I got Stephanie Powers, <laughs> heart to heart. Sylvester Stallone. That's one another text message I got. Uh, a female text Correct. message. How about this? Jose Cardinal from the 69 Cubs. Somebody emailed in. Wow. <laughs> That's a deep dig. Uh, Patty McGuire Connors, Jimmy Connors' wife, oh. who apparently was a playmate before Pam, and- you know, a big popular playmate before Pam Anderson. I, I didn't know that. Um, Sybil Shepard, it- that's another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huey Lewis, somebody said, I, Dan and Amy, I had a Huey Lewis poster for years. Rest in peace. Um, Amish texter, Kelly McGillis from Witness, of course. Yeah, Amish. You, Dan and Amy, you all forgot the most, the best pinup poster ever. Madeline Albright. <laughs> yeah, stunning. I'm um, surprised nobody mentioned Michelle Obama. Easy. Yeah. Um, uh, somebody also said uh, Amy Jacobson. Oh, yeah, right. Well, that was Craig Stavick. Oh, we Oh! No, yeah, I did two <laughs> Women of Iowa calendars, okay? I know. So you could be uh, you could be in somebody's room or- I was. Now in their closet. University of Iowa. Yeah. Now in the garbage in a landfill, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. they recycled it. I mean, come on. Uh, Do your part for the planet. Let's see what else do you have any Oh Jenny McCarthy. Oh yeah, yeah. She still looks great too. Yeah. She was on a uh, recent episode, relatively recent episode of Bar Rescue, I saw with John Taffer. Because oh. she's got this vodka product apparently. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. They live in Saint Charles. All right. Well, we'll continue to uh you know, take your tributes to those you posterized in your childhood. But uh, we have to get to some serious business as well. Yes. Uh, talk public safety in Chicago with uh, just uh, 12 days before the primary election. To help us with that, please be joined by our friend John Garrido. He's a now recently retired Chicago police lieutenant. Also, uh, I want to uh, give profile here because uh, speaking of um, uh, making dreams come true, he and his wife uh, also uh, run the uh, Garrido Stray Rescue Foundation on the northwest side. Yeah. GarridoStrayRescue.org. And that's where I got Hayek, my dog. I know. Yeah. Uh, John, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. And quick shout out to the Chicago police officers in the 16th district, actually all over the city, and my retired buddy, uh, Lieutenant Kevin Hannigan. Uh, all right. Who did you have or do you still have on your wall posterized? Your I had Farrah Fawcett uh, uh-huh. and then also um, Olivia Newton-John as Sandy, the, you know, the sure. leather Sandy, I guess you'd call it. Right. Yeah, those were my two. I actually even traded, uh, I had trading cards. I still have them. Uh, and my wife, Anna, put them in a book for me. So I have all the uh, the Charlie's Angels uh, trading cards. It was very nice <laughs> of your wife to do that for you. Yeah. I know. I, well, I had them all. I just had them all in a stack. And then, uh, yeah, so, so she, uh, she she did put it together and gave it to me as a gift. She found them. I had no idea they had trading cards. Mm-hmm. They did, yeah. I uh uh, I was. We were always trading the the, the two best ones were uh, Farrah Fawcett and Jacqueline Smith. Yeah, I always wanted to be Charlie. Or, as far as getting other cards. Yeah, I always wanted to be Charlie, not because I would have models work for me, but I just figured he was living a lavish lifestyle. You know, that's that was <laughs> that was my takeaway from that show. Uh, all right, John, um, Mayor Lightfoot. She's uh, still the mayor of the city of Chicago, at least for a couple more months. Um, she says uh, she's been saying in these. Uh, insufferable candidate forums that are mostly without point. She's been saying that uh, she has put more police on the street. So what these other candidates are proposing, she's already doing. So there's nothing more to do. Yeah, well, that's just one of the many lies that she uh, continues to uh, to throw at us uh, on her campaign trail. Uh, We've got about uh, I think we figured out there was. 4,000 officers are actually in units and actually not on patrol. So the patrol division is the backbone of the police department. Those are the officers that are on the front line. They're out there handling the 911 calls. They're in uniform and marked cars. They're, that's our visible deterrent to crime. So that's the, the unit that you want to have the most amount of officers on so that they can support each other and make sure that we've got great response times for our community and uh, backup for our officers as they're handling jobs and doing street stops. But what this administration has done is their, their their friends and family program is is alive and well, and they just keep packing these units uh, with with officers, which is important. But we've got 275 officers uh, down at the Chicago Police Academy. Uh, we've got several hundred that over in the Narcotics Division. Uh, we've got Mayor Lightfoot's detail, her protection detail, which is a little more than four times the amount that Rahm and Daly had. She's got over 110 police officers working in her protection detail. So these are officers where these are supposed to be support units. I don't know about hers, but the rest of them are support units for the patrol division. So when we have an overall reduction in manpower, which is happening nationwide, but especially here in Chicago, when you have an overall reduction in manpower, you need to thin out those units and beef up the patrol division. And we've got a superintendent that probably shouldn't have been promoted past the rank of patrolman who has no idea what he's doing and refuses to do that. So it makes it unsafe for our officers. It's unsafe for our community. Uh, and it's, 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 it, I've called it a train wreck. This entire administration has been nothing but a train wreck. And someone that's you know up there, he's polling in the third place, sometimes second, sometimes first, is Chewy Garcia. And what his what is his stance on Chicago police officers? Yeah, well, he he's he would be no better than Lightfoot. Uh, he's he's would be terrible for our community. He hangs out or there in the past. I don't know if he still is hanging out with Latin kings and gangbangers, uh, but we those would be 
Lightfoot would be the worst. We already know that. Uh, and I think Chewy would be just as bad. Hanging out with Latin kings and gangbangers, can you Well, there's a picture out there. Yes, sorry. There's a a picture out there. He marched with a a couple Latin kings. Um, uh, I think it it all came up in the the last time when he ran for uh, against Ron. There's some Mm -hmm. pictures floating out there in an article on it and Mm -hmm. uh, identifying who the guys are that he's in the picture with. What about his son, too? I mean, people were quick to pile on Paul Vallis' son, who is a police officer who was involved in a justified shooting. But yet, Chewy Garcia's son, it's kind of crickets from the mainstream media about him. Yeah, they they brought that up before uh, when when Chewy ran, uh, and they they came down on one of the reporters, uh, Anthony Ponce, I think it was. Uh, they beat up on him for for bringing up family members, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, I mean, it it uh, sometimes can have a uh, uh, give you an idea of who the candidate is as far as you know how he raises their kids. But I want to go back to what you were talking about with patrol and the distribution of officers. So it, it seems so commonsensical, I think particularly for laymen to say, well, yeah, right. You've got all these resources, uh, all these police resources devoted to things that are not um, frontline public safety chores, including the size of Lightfoot's detail. So what's the explanation for uh, the deployment of limited resources, police officers in this way? When people say, well, why don't we take the officers from here and officers from there and provide more officers on the beat and in neighborhoods, they say what? The the superintendent himself, July 20th, had a meeting at the 16th district, and that was actually brought up. We were so short in the district. Uh, We were hiring officers to come back on their days off. We were downing beat cars because we just didn't have the manpower. And we brought that up to him about the officers in units, and his response to us was, well, what if you were in that unit? Would you would you want to get dumped back to patrol? What, what am I supposed to tell those officers? And and we're we're dumbfounded because the, that 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 that's I your mean, job. That's, that's what you're response. supposed to tell them. What, what am I? That's your job, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, he's actually you know worried about uh, offending people. You know what? Because it is, he has no connection here to Chicago. So he's got you know first deputy Carter, and he's got you know all these guys that are literally just promoting and putting their people in place or putting them in units and taking care of their people, regardless of what's needed on the front lines. They just don't care. Their only priority is, is I got to get mine. Right. Protect, protect my, my, my people don't want to be on the street or, you know, they want these uh, right. sinecures. And so let's, I'm just going to focus on taking care of them because, um, well, because right. that's what they, they want. They I want loyalists. And that's not to say, uh, right, and I am by no means saying that all officers and units are, are doing a bad job of everything. Those support units are there for a reason because they are needed. And there are a lot of officers out there that are, are doing a great job. And what I'm saying is those officers just need, need to be moved back to patrol for right now. And then if we have this hiring surge, we have a, a change in leadership, and all of a sudden it's, you know, uh, cool to be the police again, and we start to build up our manpower, then you can beef up those support units again but right now patrol division is starved for officers these officers are exhausted they are uh they're they're working their days off on a regular basis so we've got to deal with the superintendent canceling days off as we go into the summer months right now but if you're going through the winter months there's officers that are just volunteering to work their days off just so we can man the beat cars on a daily basis so so 
they're tired. Right. What mayoral candidate do you think would best help the city of Chicago when it comes to the safety issue? Honestly, I think there's two. Uh, the two best are definitely, uh, in my opinion, Willie Wilson and Paul Dallas. Uh, the rest of the candidates are definitely all uh, defund the police or they've had a, a history of uh, stepping up and attacking the police. Chewy Garcia himself. So when uh, you remember the Bobby Rush popcorn oh, yeah. scandal? <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. That, so has that, that has was, that been uh, solved? Has 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 the has the Oval Rudenbacher been returned to Bobby Rush? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Why the cover uh, I think, up? Uh, I think uh, Alderman Napolitano sent him a bunch of popcorn. So oh, that's nice. Good. All right, good. And a yeah, half a but, pot uh, of coffee, I hope. And a half a pot of coffee, right? Uh, so. Uh, Chewy was quick to jump on that bandwagon, uh, that bus, I should say, as they you know uh, drove it over those officers. Uh, but you had uh, the administration at that time. You had uh, the first deputy, Tony Riccio, and Chief of Patrol Waller uh, and Superintendent Brown. They got up there with Lightfoot and Brown and just laid these officers out, put their, their, their video up there, and it, it actually went national. Um, and they presented a story uh, Riccio himself, he made it look like uh, when you hear him tell his little story there that that while he was out there on the front lines and rocks were being thrown at him and this that these officers were making coffee and and while he was shoulder to shoulder with a commander who lost her helmet, these officers were over there popping popcorn uh, and resting. When no really what happened was that happened at at Saturday. His story that he's telling this video was from the officers at 1 a.m. Monday morning right. after working this entire weekend and working 12-hour days. And when, when we were sent out there, we were left on corners with no bus, no access to restrooms, no food for the officers. It was, it was a free-for-all. It was absolute chaos at that time. So we were told then as supervisors to, when we have an opportunity, when there's downtime and nothing going on, rest the officers as much as you can. We don't know when we're going to redeploy them, and they're going to be on their feet for another 5, 10 hours. So that's what you do. That was actually an entire platoon there of 60 or 70 officers, but you only see about 13 in the video because the rest are out there on patrol, which at 1 a.m. Monday morning, it was all done. That weekend, nothing was going on. And those officers go in there and rest. Yes, that included eating some popcorn, drinking some coffee, and even sleeping. Yes, officers are allowed to sleep on duty when we're in a chaos situation like that to get some rest so you keep your officers as fresh as possible. Uh, you on that. Okay. You were police under three mayors, right? Daly, Rahm, and Lightfoot. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, so I mean, over the course of the the that couple of decades plus, um, you know, what 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 do you see? How do you reflect back now that you're retired on your career and where the city was when you started, and what what happened in in the subsequent couple of decades? Well, I started in January of 1991, and uh, it, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible just you know how much uh, has changed since then. Uh, the mayors, first of all, just going back to even daily. Uh, while there would be you know obviously some input and stuff as far as the how the department was run, for the most part, he actually let the the department run itself, the officers run itself. And then as time went on, and now you've got a micromanager and Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, but so much has changed. Uh, social media, uh, uh, the the cameras, and you know everything everywhere. Uh, the the way that uh, the 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 perception of how officers are supposed to be doing their job. I mean, sometimes 
policing doesn't look good. Sometimes we have to use force. Uh, I think they're going after officers in Oak Lawn right now because they were, you know, punching this, you know, poor young teen that was that, that had a gun. Yeah, gun <laughs> in his back, running, I know. And, it, and it had gun in his back. You know, so uh, that's just a, an example of just how dramatically it's changed. Everybody now is an expert on law enforcement, and they it were, there's just hyper-focus on on what the officers are doing and how they do their job. And that's made it extremely difficult for officers to do their job. Well, what about... Uh, when you're what constantly it, being second-guessed. And, and this, the city itself, because, I mean, we've had uh, murder spikes under all of the mayors. Um, we've had endemic sure. violent crime in the south and west side particularly, and it's spread sometimes to uh, other neighborhoods um, on, under all of the mayors. So what's different now versus a decade ago, two decades ago, three decades ago in the city? So the one thing that Daly and Ron knew is, is uh, you know, and, and it's, it's not about race. It's, it's everybody wants to make everything about race. It's, it's about containing the violence. You're, you're, uh, you want to do what you can to obviously, you know, you know, pre- you know prevent crime, uh, but you have to contain it because at the same time, we, we have to pay our bills here. Our, our tax base is downtown Chicago. Mayor Lightfoot let that go. Yep. Uh, it's a free-for-all down there. Uh, the, the crime has just spread throughout the city because between her and Kim Fox, uh, it goes unchecked. There's no accountability. Uh, but the, the diff, the, for sure, the big difference with uh, Lori Lightfoot is that she has allowed crime to spread everywhere. And I know some people say, well, you know, what about crime in those neighborhoods? Absolutely. And there's a lot more than you can't police your way sometimes out of the crime problems in some of those neighborhoods. There's societal issues that have to be dealt with uh, in addition to that. You have to, you know, work with those communities. But to to let it just the way it's gone, I mean, we've got, you know, 12-year-olds, you know, doing, you know, carjackings on the North Shore. They're 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 everywhere, and it and it, it's it's just going unchecked, and that's yeah. the thing that I think I noticed big time. You mentioned Kim Fox. Uh, what, what about the deterioration? I'm suggesting that's what's occurred. The deterioration of the relationship between police and the Cook County State's Attorney's Office over that time period, too, from you know Jack O'Malley to Dick Devine to even Anita Alvarez to present. Well, there is no relationship with the police and Kim Fox, for sure. There are definitely a lot of uh, state's attorneys that, that have been there a long time. So they're from the old regime, and and they want to work with law enforcement. They want to work with the officers. Uh, so there's still a lot of good state's attorneys there, but more times than not, their hands are tied, and the, the edict comes down from uh, Kim Fox of what they can and can't do, and it's just it's, – it's let them go. Basically, you know, I, I guess she's called, you know, let them go, Kim Fox, because she doesn't want them prosecuting. It, it appears as though she doesn't want them prosecuting anybody. John Garrido, former Chicago police lieutenant in the 16th District, 30 years on the job. Uh, also president, along with his wife, uh, they run the Garrido Stray Rescue Foundation, org. John, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good talking to you Thank guys. you. And Bye-bye. he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. They even had the unmitigated gall to go and make coffee for themselves and to pop popcorn, my popcorn, in my microwave. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. 
The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So Elon Musk appeared at the World Government Summit in Dubai to speak truth to the sheiks and warn of the dangers of world government. I wonder how that was received. Take a listen. One thing I should say, I know this is called the World Government Summit, um, but um, I think we should be maybe a little bit concerned about uh, actually becoming too much of a single world government. Um, if, If I may say that we want to avoid creating a civilizational risk by having, um, frankly, this may sound a little odd, too much cooperation between governments. Um, you know, if you know, if you look at say the at history and the rise and fall of civilizations, um, the, the really all throughout history, civilizations have risen and fallen. But it hasn't meant the doom of humanity as a whole because there've been there've been all these separate civilizations that were separated by great distances, and so. Um, you know, say like while Rome was falling, it, uh, it, you know, uh, Islam was rising, and uh, so you had like a, uh, you know, the, the sort of caliphate do, doing incredibly well while Rome was doing terribly, um, and that actually ended up being a source of preservation of knowledge uh, and uh, and many scientific advancements, and so, um, so I think we want to be a little bit cautious about. Uh, being too much of a world, of a single uh, civilization, because if we are too much of a single civilization, then if, if, we, if the whole the whole thing may collapse. Um, I'm not, obviously not suggesting war or anything like that, but I think we want to be a little bit wary of actually cooperating too much. It sounds a little odd, but um, but we, we just we, we want to have some amount of civilizational diversity such that if uh, if something does go wrong with some part of civilization, that the whole thing doesn't collapse uh, and, 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 you know, humanity keeps moving forward. Yeah, I think uh, Elon Musk uh, is not going to be invited to the World Economic Forum uh, next year. But um, here's the thing. Well, of course, he's right. I mean, it's sort of like the bipartisan cooperation. This is supposed to be an analoid, uh, analoid good. And yet, um, you know, people can get together and do great things. They can get together and rob a bank, too. Um, So the consolidation of state power probably is something to be a bit wary of. It also reminds me of uh, George Will's uh, criticism of a favorite phrase of the the globalists and the, the one world government types. The community of nations, the community of nations. Is there really a community of nations? You know, so Eritrea and the United States were both part of some community of nations. Not really. Not really. And that's not only okay; it's probably a good thing. Uh, For more on this and other topics, please to be joined by Lance Morrow, senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, longtime essayist for Time Magazine, author of the new book, The Noise of Typewriters, Remembering Journalism, Now That It's Gone. Uh, that's available on February 28th, so pre-order it now at Amazon and all the usual places. Lance Morrow, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. And great to be here. Thanks. Uh, how do you react to uh, what Musk was telling the world government types about the dangers of world government? I agree with him. And as a matter of fact, I think that the, uh, the 
in many ways, uh, globalism is has has been a sort of Pandora's box in in some ways. But I, I'm afraid that the overall tendency that he, although he didn't say so, but um, down the road, global government, it seems to me, has an inclination always toward the totalitarian. Uh, how else to make it work? So uh, I, I, I agree entirely with your point and with his point that um, you need you need a diversity of points of view and uh, a diversity of civilizations and the sort of self-correcting or the checks and balances that are inherent in the differences and the the autonomy of individual uh, centers of power rather than a globalized uh, arrangement, which it seems to me does tend, it's a, it's a power question, and, and the tendency would be, in my view, the danger is either totalitarianism or anarchy or complete anarchy, world anarchy. So I uh, I, I agree with Musk. I think he's right. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing, it's just these beautiful lies that that you hear politicians tell over and over again, and then people repeat them because they think they're uh, saying something <clears throat> enlightened or or compassionate. Um, the the idea that uh, um, you know, we need to work together because everybody wants the same thing. Well, you know, at the at the individual level, you know, people in in Russia want the same thing as people in America in terms of freedom and quality of life. But but at the state level, that's not the case. You know, a Putin or she uh, want very different things than um, a, a lot of state actors in the West, for example. Yeah, no, it, it's better to have spheres uh, of influence and, and you know d- restricted uh, autonomous. Um, it's it's. I mean, look at look at the federal system in the United States. The uh, it, it's there's always a tension between the central authority and the local or regional uh, autonomies and the, between the federal government and the states. But uh, it seems to me you need a countervailing uh, autonomies and uh, independences and uh, a a freedom, because all of that tends toward freedom and too much globalization and centralization uh, tends not toward freedom, but the reverse. Subsidiarity is a good thing, basically. I'm sorry, say again? Subsidiarity is a good thing, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, in your new book, The Noise of Typewriters, Remembering Journalism, I was curious, uh, when did journalism die or was it a slow death? Uh, well, I don't think it's dead. I think that's a little too much. There's still, there's still a lot of good uh, journalism being done. But uh, <clears throat> the book is called The Noise of Typewriters, and I draw a pretty... Uh, distinct line between the age of typewriters and the age of computers and internet and social media and all of that. Um, it seems to me that with the coming of that global, it's globalization, it's internet, it's uh, the, the screens, the world of screens, the um, democratization of information by way of all these of smartphones and so on. And it seems to me that that's a 
clear mark of delineation, and you go into a different world. The the world I'm writing about in the 20th century and the, the world of journalism and so on is a different world from the world that we inhabit now. And uh, I don't, in the book, I'm not writing about the 21st century. I'm not writing about uh, computers and so on, except occasionally I'll I'll refer to it, but I'm writing about the the old world and uh, uh, what went on in that kind of journalism. But there's no doubt in my mind that um, the the two worlds are very different from one another, and uh, and I think the uh, a lot of the change, many of the changes in journalism have been very very much for the worse. Um, there is a there, are, you know the the used to say that the greatest casualty of the 1960s, which I regard as the seedbed of a lot of the culture wars that we have now, but the, but the greatest casualty of the 60s was authority, the authority of the president, of the military, of parents, of uh, and all forms of authority. <clears throat> if you look at, at uh, many journalistic organizations now, you have a terrific crisis of authority in which, uh, for example, at the New York Times, you have capitulations to uh, journalists who objected to, on the most um, spurious grounds, to uh, James Bennett, the guy who used to to run the op-ed page, the editorial pages of the New York Times. The Times fired him. They should have done absolutely the reverse. They, they should have told uh, those on the staff who were staging this rebellion that if they were unhappy at the times, perhaps they should would be happier elsewhere, working elsewhere. Um, the Times fired uh, Donald McNeil, who was one of their top reporters on environment and science and so on, on the most trivial grounds, of, of <clears throat> absolutely phony grounds that involved uh, the use of the forbidden N-word. And um, that kind of uh, craven, immature decision-making, I think, goes back, even even goes back to the 1960s. You know, it goes to it, it, part of the failure of journalism, in other words, in the 21st century, I think, has to do with a weakness of leadership well, and a weakness of clarity about these decisions. So, so, so James Bennett, for example, was fired because he dared to run an op-ed from Tom Cotton on yeah. the New York Times editorial right. page. Um, and right. so, so, so I guess the question is, is fundamentally uh, the deterioration of journalism an issue of technology or ideology or are the two inextricably linked? I think it's both. I think that the two of them are, are bound up with one another and also the failure, <clears throat> excuse me, the failure of leadership that I just mentioned. Um, there, uh, there's a funny kind of, when I, in the old journalism that I'm writing about, uh, there was a different sense of what was acceptable uh, in terms of objectivity, the ob- objective reporting was was the uh, the stated standard. Well, everybody knows that objectivity, pure objectivity, is impossible to achieve. Nevertheless, you are uh, looking for 
what Carl Bernstein is always referring to as the uh, best available version of the truth. You you have to keep in your mind always the idea that there is such a thing as objectivity, even though it may be uh, objectively impossible to achieve. But when you have reporters uh, <clears throat> feeling free to toss in their own rather shallow opinions, un unreported or unsourced uh, opinions, and and and, uh, and speaking what they call my truth and so on, or becoming extremely uh, partisan and ideological, and uh, uh, when that happens, that uh, you've got real trouble. And uh, part of it is there are many things that converge here, many problems. That converge. It's it's partly the the technology. Uh, it's partly there's a certain anarchic quality where, um, you know, my truth is good as your truth is anybody else's truth. It's identity politics getting into it. Uh, yeah, all of these things. It it, it um, it's a little complicated to sort out. But how, how, result, how much there is there is. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so how much of it, like going back to the 60s, uh, as you say, um, uh, the, the loss, the beginning of the loss of faith in institutions, small d democratic institutions and authority, <laughs> how much of that is uh, uh, journalism, journalists having sort of an outsized sense of who they are, what their role is, you know, that, that they're the... Um, the protectorate of our representative republic that uh, but for them uh the 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 republic will fall and and then you, that creates uh inertia that just has continued to build over the the previous five decades yeah i think there's a if you combine mediocrity and hubris you get into real trouble uh <laughs> wood woodward and bernstein uh achieved you know what what they achieved and and uh uh but <clears throat> they spawned a an enormous number of imitators it's a little like ernest hemingway's uh prose uh if you're going to write like hemingway you'd better be hemingway if you're going to be exposing <laughs> people if you're going to be exposing government uh people uh, in that and, and dreaming of doing so on a scale like Woodward and Bernstein, you probably should be uh, Woodward and Bernstein. But after Woodward and Bernstein, there were thousands of, of reporters who uh, were going after. They, they regarded any um, anybody who any official who fixed a parking ticket as uh equivalent to Richard Nixon and everything was a Watergate. And so that sort of self-importance and that well scenario that i'm sorry and, yeah go ahead. yeah and even the, even the way that um that it's covered even the way that scandal is covered everything you attach a gate to it to your point yeah, Every, yeah you know everything gate, is equivalent gate. in terms of importance yeah, right right the gate gate things uh and and it's it's it gets to be silly and uh uh 
a sense of proportion is destroyed. There's a sensationalism that gets into it, a, a lack of judgment gets into it. And that lack of judgment, by the way, is, is very much related to the, to the lack of judgment that we referred to a couple of minutes ago about the firing of James Bennett. That was just a, a, a terrible lack of judgment. Uh, and so you have to know what's important and what's not important and how to sort out these things. And you, to do that, you need grown-ups. You need, you need grown-up leadership. And I'm afraid that uh, uh, there's a lot of confusion in, in the media. And, uh, and, and the result is that you get very bad results. And, and people start talking about the death of, of journalism uh, so it's it's a it's a messy business. He is Lance Morrow, senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, longtime SAS for Time Magazine, author of the new book, The Noise of Typewriters: Remembering Journalism. Lance Morrow, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the book. Uh, delighted. Thank you very much. Thank you. And he joined us on our Turnkey.pro answer line. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM five sixty. The answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. You know Bryson Gray. We've had him on the show before. You've probably downloaded some of his songs, like this instant classic. Hey, let's go, Brandon. I keep it drawn like I'm Nick Cannon. Hey. Hey, let's go Brandon. Pandemic ain't real, they just planted. Hey, hey, let's go Brandon. When you ask questions, they start banning. Hey, hey, let's go Brandon. Hey, hey, let's go Brandon. Hey, hey, let's go Brandon. I keep a drum like I'm Nick Cannon. Hey, hey, let's go Brandon. Pandemic ain't real, they just planted. Hey. Or how about this little ditty about the FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago? For your rights, can you pay attention? Hey, now you see the ones protected by the system. Hey, they raided Trump's house, why they ain't raided Clinton's? And for this, I'm fun Biden, but he ain't in prison. Talk to just the system, but they want you to forget. Cause your wise, Epstein Island, why they hide the list? Ignore Clinton body count like it don't exist. Obey or they gon' ruin you if you don't submit. Yeah, all right. You can hear more of Bryson Gray's musical stylings. The most censored rapper in America. For Eminem, the FCC wouldn't let him be or let him be him. So let me see. For Bryson Gray, it's big tech. Bryson Gray comes to Chicagoland this Sunday, his God Save America tour on President's Day. President's Day, God Save America tour. February 19th, this Sunday in Schaumburg. Bryson Gray joins us now. Bryson, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so um, you're like the, uh, the the modern day Chuck D and Flava Flav all wrapped into one because they they rapped about the man, and now you're rapping about the man, but the man's different than it was in Public Enemies' heyday. Yeah, um, back then it seemed like they were going at a different uh, a different type of person. I'm rap- I'm rapping against the entirety of the current agenda being pushed on um, a lot of us right now. Well, all of us right now, and. Um, what inspired you to uh, take your musical talent in this direction? God. Um, in Ephesians 5, it says, do not take part in unfruitful works, but expose them. So um, that's why I do what I do. 
and the most censored rapper in America. I sort of uh, alluded to big tech. I mean, that's that's where you're running into problems in terms of getting your music out. Yeah, uh, I am. Like Apple Music literally didn't release my last album, but I found a solution. Um, me and Tyson James created a website called allccg.com, and we just put all of our music on there now. It's, tell us about the God Save America tour and what uh, folks can expect on Sunday in Schaumburg. Well, if you was at the last one, you know it's going to be a real good time. Um, it's going to be myself, Forgiato Blow, uh, Topher, Schaumburg, doors open at 5. Um, Mount Barrels is going to be an amazing time, a little bit controversial, but, you know, that's what freedom of speech is about. Now, when that's did you become? What I hear. Yeah, yeah, when did you become interested in rapping? Was it was a lifelong dream when you were a kid. <laughs> Literally, uh, this is going to sound so cliche, but I'm not even joking. I cannot tell you when I started rapping because I do I don't remember my life before I rapped. So, like, I've been rapping at least since four years old. I just don't know. Well, where are you <laughs> from? Where did, where, where did you grow up? High Point, North Carolina. Born and raised. All right. And um, uh, the this the the uh, other artists that are performing with you, their perspectives are similar in terms of uh, you know railing against uh, the system as it currently exists today. Yeah, I've I've like Topher similar. I've like Vojado similar. I feel like we all go against the narrative. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm a little more spicier than the other people, a little more controversial, but uh, we all go against the current narrative. What what's a, what has surprised you, perhaps other than um, the treatment you're getting from big tech companies, uh, as you have, uh, if you have, as you've rolled out these rap songs that uh, speak to the politics of the day? Uh, what truly has surprised me is really how hard being independent is. Mm. Um, but it's like you don't truly know until you try to basically run an entire. Because basically, I run an entire record label myself, right? It's me. I'm pushing the music. I'm funding the marketing. I'm shooting my own videos. I'm editing my own videos. You know, so uh, it's, it's literally a, it's more than a full time job. What kind of fee- what kind of feedback do you get from uh, more more quote unquote mainstream rappers? You know, that aren't rapping about politics and stuff. Just, I mean, do do you have relationships with rappers and you talk about the music and and um, and and you know your philosophy on the music, or are you ostracized from the rap community because you're a Christian conservative? I'm ostracized by the higher ups of the industry, but I know a few. I know a few rappers, uh, mainstream rappers, and all of them agree. Like literally, everybody's on the same same mindset, and the ones that weren't before are on the same in, in the same mindset now. What do you think of the whole Kanye West controversy? Which one? Uh, Which I'm a, one? The latest one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a free speech absolutist, so I believe he should be able to say whatever he wants to say. Um. And if, it's, if you don't like it, then stop watching it. Uh, and I sort of like that Adidas is failing because they dropped him. Where has he been? Do you know where, where – I mean, is he in rehab somewhere? Or I, no one's heard from him <laughs> in a long time, which might be a good thing. Uh, he, I don't, you know. he just got married, so I think he's just hanging yeah, out right. with his new, uh, yeah. his, his, new his, his new wife. I don't know. Well, and so um, – Think you know what? What kind of crowds are you getting at the God Save America tour? I mean, is this is this like you know? Are you getting are you getting a younger crowd? Are you getting a hip hop crowd? Do you think you're reaching an audience that you know old honkies like me can't reach? <laughs> I think it is the most 
interesting crowd ever. Even uh, when I when I was last, Chicago Vice News was there, and they were shocked by how many young kids were there. But there are also older people there. There are also people uh, millennials there. Like you, literally have everybody there. Um, to, you know, everybody there having fun, talk about God, and talking about uh, conservative values. Wow. So how, how did this God Save America tour come about, and, and how expansive is it? Are you uh, crossing the Fruited Plains with your music? Uh, that's a plan. So originally it was me, Tyson James, and Forge Seattle Bo, and uh, we just got tired of, 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 of going to performances, and it was only about politics, or they didn't have the right stuff. So we, we started pitting on our own stuff, and we teamed up with GOP Jamboree to do so. Um, and now it's me, Topher, and Borgiato, because Tyson has, like, five kids. He's living a dream, so he, don't, <laughs> he can't get away with much. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you have the other, like, Bryson Gray, he had some, uh, um, I mean, uh, Topher and uh, Mayor Forgiato Blow, they've had some songs, too. Are, they, are you all sort of suffering from the same uh, travails when it comes to getting your music out? Oh, yeah, Forgiato, I feel like he got so censored last year. Um, and and Topher experienced some censorship earlier, early on, but not, not as of late. But we all have been censored in some way, shape, or form. Wow. Now, you wear a t- uh, sweatshirt, Make America Straight Again. Can you explain that? <laughs> straight in what way? <laughs> so many. Uh, straight, yeah. <laughs> straight as in our default settings and the way God designed us to be. Um so, you know, I don't know what I what I can say on the radio, so I guess I'll leave it there. <laughs> okay. We can, well, we can, we, say it. We can <laughs> fill in the blanks, but probably. Um <laughs> and, and so the the um the Christian perspective, I mean, is that something that uh uh that you came to on your own? Is that uh rooted in family? What how did you come to believe the things you believe? Uh I mean, of course, I grew up in a black community and a lot of us grow up Christian, but I was lukewarm. I was still living in in very, very worldly ways. So I had to come to the, the Bible myself. And when I um, started getting into the Bible, um, it took me a while because I feel like when you first get into the Bible, you get very cocky. Uh, so I had, to, I had to humble myself, but then I really started changing my life. And, and uh, now, now I'm here. All right. Um, the uh, concert, God Save America Tour, comes to Schomburg at MT Barrels. That's 1712 West Wise Road in Schomburg, MT Barrels, 1712 West Wise West Wise Road, tongue twister there. Uh, more information, gopjamboree.com. He is Bryson Gray. He'll be joined by artists including Mayor Forgiato Blow and Topher. Uh, pick up tickets, twenty-five or $35 per adult, $20 for, uh, for, people, under un- for uh, yeah, people under 21. And so hopefully you get a good turnout of young people too. Uh, maybe this is the way that... Uh, you, we get some scales to fall from some eyes. Uh, Bryson Gray, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck with the concert on Sunday, and uh, greatly appreciate what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-467. 
800-516-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.